Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you, worship team. Hey, Matthew chapter 7, if you have your Bibles, thank you for joining us online. Thank you for joining us at the Rossville campus this morning. It's great to have you wherever you are, even Rock Spring. Thank you so much for being here today. Matthew chapter 7, I started this sermon series the beginning of the summer called FAQ, Answers to Your Questions About the Christian Life, where Matthew chapter 6, 7, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount uh, begins to just answer basic questions about the Christian life. And so we've looked at uh, a prayer and money, all sorts of things. And so he deals with things that are going to hit us in everyday life. And today is one of those subjects. So today I want to preach on this subject, how to stop being critical, how to stop being critical. Complaining is so easy to do even for the Christian. I mean, ask yourself a question this morning. How much do you complain? I have a better idea. Don't judge yourself. Go home and ask a family member how much you complain. Research tells us that we are very much complainers. As a matter of fact, here's what we know, that the average person complains between 15 to 30 times a day. According to one report, the average adult will spend eight minutes and 45 seconds a day doing nothing but complaining. And so here, here we have this large, uh, this portion of our day, and most of the time it's uh, towards those that we love, where we're just complain after complain after complaint, criticism after criticism after criticism. And we feel like, here's how we feel, we feel like when we complain, when we criticize, it makes us feel better, right? Because here's what we say, we we say something like this, well, it feels good to just get it off my chest, right? You've, you've said that before. And so I'm going to complain uh, about my husband, makes me feel good to get it off my chest. I, I'm going to be critical towards my wife, makes me feel good, or towards my parents, or towards my kids, or my job, or, or maybe just my life circumstances. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be critical for this almost 10 minutes a day about whatever it is in my life or whomever it is in my life, and man, I, it's just going to make me feel better to get it off my chest. And you've said that statement before, you've heard that statement before, because you feel like it somehow is a reliever in your life. It is a, it is a stress reliever, but studies show that is actually not true. Studies show that when we complain, we're actually killing ourselves and those around us. Here, here's what research tells us. Research from Stanford University has found that complaining reduces the size of your hippocampus, which is in your brain, if you don't know that, which is responsible for memory and problem solving. The study found that engaging in complaining, now hang with me for a second, that engaging in complaining, that's you, or hearing someone complain for more than 30 minutes could physically damage your brains. Now, now get this. When you're being critical, when you are complaining, it not only affects you physically, uh, uh, mentally, emotionally, it not only hurts you, 
But what research is telling us is that it hurts those around us, that we physically damage our own brains, but more than that, we physically damage the brains of those we love. Not only that, when we complain, the hormone cortisol cortisol is released into our body, which triggers our fight-or-flight response. Blood and oxygen get redirected away from non-essential systems, and it hurts our overall health. And so here's here's what we learn. We learn this, that repeated complaining results in cortisol being released in higher levels, putting us more at risk in developing heart disease, high cholesterol, diabetes, obesity, and stroke. Now, here's what I'm trying to tell you. We are in uh, bad, bad shape, and uh, uh, we've just got started. Like, like a critical spirit complaining is hurting you mentally, it is hurting you physically, it is hurting those around you as well. When you are critical, when you complain, you are solely killing yourself. You say, preacher, how do I know if I'm a complainer? Well, did you know it could just be your name? Did you know that uh, uh, an organization called U-Switch, U-Switch figured out the names of the biggest complainers in general? Here's what they did. You can read on here. They went to the bit largest, uh, they went to the largest attractions in the world, the largest tourist attractions in the world, and they went to the TripAdvisor page, and they filtered it out for poor and terrible reviews, and they, they figured out the list of the top complainers in general based on their name. And I just, I just so happen to have it, but do you want to see it really? Uh, so, so females, I, I, I did highlight Karen because that seems kind of obvious in the last, right? Or sorry, Karens and Kim's man, you're rough and Susan, Sue, Sarah, Julia, Emily, Claudia, Anna, Rachel. I, all right. I'm going to get to the men quickly cause I feel safer here. Uh, um, and then the men, the biggest complainers of the men were Paul, David, John, Mark, Andrew, Steve, Michael, Peter, Jeff, Daniel. So basically the 12 apostles are very... <laughs> They are, they are complainers, man. They are, they are complainers. They are, grab, grab. that may also just be the most popular names in the world. I, like, I'm not sure that is really anything. Businesses don't like complainers. But hear me, neither does God. Complaining comes from a judgmental spirit that says, I am better, or I could do better. And when we have that, uh, that internal, judgmental, critical spirit, it always manifests itself in outward complaining. So, so uh, you say, well, are you talking about being critical or being a complainer? Yes, I'm talking about both because they are sisters. They are close cousins to each other. That one is always manifested where the other one shows up. And so here's what we know, that when we're being, when we're being critical, when we're complaining, it affects us personally. It affects the relationships around us. Not only that, it affects our relationship with God. And you say, well, preacher, that's carrying it too far. I don't think so because here's what the Bible says, Numbers 11. Now the people began complaining openly before the Lord about hardship. And when the Lord heard, his anger burned. And by the way, fire fell from heaven and burned them all up. So like, it, it, got, it got rough. God didn't like it. Then you flip over the New Testament, Philippians 2.14, do everything without grumbling or complaining and arguing 
God is not a fan of a critical spirit. So when we roll into Matthew chapter 7, that is exactly what he deals with. He deals with this critical spirit. He deals with this judgmental spirit. He deals with those that, that have that internal judgment, and then it manifests itself outside critically or in a complaining way. So I want us to stand and see what God has to say uh, about this in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1, if you have your Bibles. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1. Here's what Jesus said. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. And you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your eye and then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under your feet, turn and tear you to pieces. Thank you. You may be seated. So let me, let me take just a moment, walk you through these verses, and then let me make just four points of application for us today about how to stop being critical. Because we go back to this verse, Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. Now there is perhaps no verse in the Bible that is more quoted than Matthew chapter 7 verse 1, but no verse in the Bible that is more misunderstood than Matthew chapter 7 verse number 1. So let's, let me deal with this verse for a moment. Let me say, first of all, what does it not mean? Right? Because this is not just a verse that Christians quote. This is a verse that the lost world quotes. This is a verse you'll see on television. This is a verse that you'll hear a politician say. This is a verse we hear all the time. And so it is an aptly quoted verse, but yet it is almost always, 99% of the time, taken out of context and misapplied theologically to what God intended. So what did God intend? Well, let me tell you what God did not intend. Judge not does not mean in a court of law, right? I think that's a pretty obvious statement. That if God said, do not judge, that doesn't mean we shouldn't have judges. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have a court system. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have a legal system. And I only have to point that out because there are some that have said it. But let me tell you what else it does not mean. Judge not does not mean we cannot call out right and call out what wrong. That's the world's favorite way of using it. The world's favorite way of using it is when they are mired in their sin, they say, well, you shouldn't judge me. Jesus said that you should not be my judge. Or they'll say things like this, who are you to judge me? Well, here's the deal when it comes to that. When it comes to sin, it is not us judging you, but it is God and his word that has already judged you. So judge not that you be not judged doesn't mean I can't call out your sin. It doesn't mean I can't preach a sermon on the Bible. You say, well, that's judging. No, that's not judging at all. That is exactly what God and the Bible do. They call out your sin. The verse does not mean that we cannot call right, right, and wrong, wrong. That is exactly what we're supposed to do as Christians. As a matter of fact, one of the signs of the end times is they call right, wrong, and wrong, right. But that's not what the Bible say. The Bible would say that we are, as Christians, to call 
right, right, and wrong, wrong. And that absolutely does not violate Matthew uh, chapter 7, verse 1. So if you're committing sin and someone calls you out, that is not judging you. That's just the truth. So it doesn't mean that we can't call out sin. So then, preacher, what does it, what does it mean? Well, the word judging there means looking down on another person. It means having a superior attitude. It means criticizing or condemning them without loving concern for them. There is no love but a sense of superiority in your life. It, it, it's a desire to make yourself look better than they do by being critical towards them. So in other words, it is a critical spirit. It is a complaining spirit. It is a judgmental attitude. Jesus is not saying you can't call right, right, and wrong, wrong. Jesus is saying don't have a critical, judgmental spirit. The rule is this. If you, if you don't judge, uh, by the way, you are less likely to be judged. We'll look at that later. So then he goes on to verse number two. You'll be judged by the same standard which you judge others, measured by the same standard. So whatever the standard you give to others, that's the standard you're going to get back in, in, in life. And then verse number three and verse number four, very famous verses about the, the splinter in your own eye and the beam in others' eye. We'll look at it in a moment. But every person has a tendency to ignore their own faults and concentrate on the fault of others, right? You do it in your marriage all the time, don't you? I mean, your husband's mistakes are big and yours are little, right? Because we say things like this. Well, preacher, I know I'm not perfect, but... And then you're about to tell me how imperfect your husband is or how imperfect your wife is. Right? Te teenagers do it with the parents. Parents do it with the teenagers. Employers do it with the boss. And boss do it with employers. We're, we overlook the little things in our lives and we concentrate... Or overlook the big things in our lives and we concentrate on the little things... In others' lives. In reality, we have a hard time recognizing our own shortcomings and fault. And so Jesus said, uh, why don't you look at yours first? And then verse number five, he said, why don't you deal with you first? The proper order of things is for us to take care of our own faults first before we try to help others. And then verse number six, much debate about this verse, but I believe Jesus is telling this, and I'll close with this in general we shouldn't go around being criticizers and advice givers because most people aren't going to listen anyway. So how do we stop being critical? I think there are four things here that I can say to us this morning that will really help your marriage. It'll help your, it'll help your relationships. It'll help your walk with God. For some of you here this morning, a judgmental attitude is killing your relationships and it's setting you up for failure. And so God wanted to deal with it in Matthew chapter 7. So let me tell you four things about it. Number one is this, the grace you give is the grace you get. The grace you give is the grace you get. Jesus said it might be best to keep your critical spirit to yourself. There are people who love in your life giving out free advice and free criticism. You ever notice that? You've got those people around you they just love to tell you how you could be better, right? If you're a parent, you know, they, 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 they have time they don't have any kids or theirs are toddlers, but they'll tell you how to deal with your teenager, right? Like you didn't ask, but they're there to tell you anyway. They love giving out free advice. I, I can just say as a pastor, um, uh, man, everybody knows how to run a church, right? Like 
Everybody's got an opinion, and uh, everybody wants to give advice, and they know how to preach better, and they know how to worship better, and they know how to do ministry better, and, and it's always amazing to me that people with no theological training whatsoever, no practical experience whatsoever, love to give out advice. Now, we're not against advice. We love it and accept it, and by the way, if you're new to our church, we don't have any, like, this is the best church in the world. That does not happen here, but I'm telling you, the, I'm part of some pastor groups and social media, and you ought to hear, man, what some of these guys are going through, and it's normally given out by people who don't give, don't serve, and come every now and then free advice you, you got people in your life that love to give out relationship advice you, you got people in your life that love to point out when you're wrong we're blessed every one of us are blessed with people in our lives who love to point out our faults and our er- errors and people who just love to be critical and, and I'm afraid and God was uh, intimating this here in the passage that sometimes unfortunately the most judgmental people are people in the church and the reason that's so unfortunate is the church should be the place where grace abounds and remember we're not talking about sin yes we are going to call out your sin Yes, we're going to call out your wrong. We're talking about a critical spirit, a superior attitude towards others. And so here's what Jesus said about it. Jesus said, I'd be careful I wouldn't do that. Jesus said, I would be very careful about having a critical attitude as a child of God. Why? Because the grace you give is the grace you get. Here's what Jesus said. The same measure you measure it out is the same measure you're going to get back. And, and there's much debate on what that means, but I can take at least two things it means. Number one, it means this. The standard you use on others will be the standard they use on you. Like If you don't have any grace in your life, you're not going to get much grace back. You give out grace in your life, you're, you're going to be prone to get more grace back. Here's the deal. The standard you use on others is most of the time the standard they will use on you. But it all, people, who are going to, uh, people aren't going to let you off the hook when you are critical towards them. The same way you measure grace out is the same way grace is going to be given. But it also could mean this, and this is even scarier, the standard you use on others may be the standard God uses on you. Now, God's ultimate standard is his word. I I understand that. But there's a lot of grace with God, right? We sing it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. There's a lot of grace with God. But if you don't give it out, it may be that even God doesn't measure it out abundantly towards you. That is the warning of Jesus, that when you're critical of others, others may turn around and be judgmental towards you. And can I say this morning, I don't want judgment, I want grace. You'll hear our staff quote me all the time because I say, I give a lot of grace because I need a lot of grace. I I, I give a lot of grace in my marriage because I need a lot of grace in my marriage. I give a lot of grace to parents because I needed a lot of grace with uh, uh, when I was trying to parent my kids when they were young. I give a lot of grace in the world because I need a lot of grace back. I give grace because I need grace back. And if it's going to come back to me the way I give it out, Lord, let me give out abundance of grace. 
we love playing board games at my house. My wife loves playing board games. She, she's got a couple of favorite games. She goes through waves of it. Her favorite board game of all time is probably Clue. Anybody play Clue in, in here? Yes. Man, she loves that game. It, it takes forever to play, but she loves that game. But it, it does take as long as her favorite game for a long time was Monopoly or the game that never ends. I mean, if, if, you, if you can go bankrupt on purpose, you know, sometimes people have cheated a board game and try not to land on your property. Man, I was cheating trying to just land on part place and get it over with, this game doesn't end. One game we don't play much now, we used to play a lot when we first got married was Scrabble. Anybody, anybody play Scrabble? Yeah, so, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm passionate about winning. I've got a real competitive attitude about myself and, and I had to self-regulate when it came to Scrabble. You know why? Because I'd, I'd keep, I'd, I bought a dictionary just for Scrabble. I kept a dictionary when we played Scrabble and she'd come spell some three-letter word and I didn't think it was spelled right and I'd be like, oh, it was before the internet. Let me look it up. Look at it. I don't think you spelled it correctly. And so, so, but here's what I learned. If I was going to do that to her, that's what she's going to do to me. So she might put a word down like this, you know, calendar. Not spelled exactly right. I'll let you figure that out. But um, she might have spelled it a different way, you know, whatever. But then, you know, then I wanted to spell that word. Because one of these ways is right. One of these ways is wrong. Do you know which one? No. You don't. And don't look it up. Because one of the biggest words you can spell in Scrabble. So you know what I learned to do? I learned that if I, gave, if I looked up every word, if Sherry spelled dog, and I was like, I'm not sure that's the right way to spell dog. I think there are alternate spellings. And, you, know, I looked up, you know what I found out? That when I wanted to spell a word that really mattered, you know what she'd say? She'd say, uh, uh, hey, well, let's look it up. You say, well, that's cheating. No, it's called winning. That's what it's called. It's called winning. Here's what I discovered. If you didn't give out any grace, you didn't get any grace. Now, again, I'm not talking about sin. I'm not talking about wrong. We're talking about being critical and judgmental. We're talking about being unable to look over the faults of others, being critical of others' slip-ups and fails. And here's what the Bible said. Man, God was very plain. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a person sows, he will also reap. Now, we most often use that verse when it comes to sin in our lives. And it absolutely uh, uh, it is about sin but you know what it's also about grace how much grace do you sow in your marriage how much grace do you sow in your family how much grace are you sowing in your job and in your relationships here's what the bible says sow grace because if you'll sow grace in your life and get rid of a judgmental spirit get rid of a critical spirit you'll reap grace when you need grace. Are you a grace giver or a critic? Matthew chapter 7 verse number 1 was about critics. Matthew chapter 7 verse number 1 was about complainers. Matthew chapter 7 verse number 1. Judge not that you be not judged. Tells me the grace I give out is the grace I'll get back. Second thing Jesus would tell you that would get rid of a critical, critical spirit Number two, he'd say, look in the mirror before you look in the microscope. 
Jesus was plain that we are nitpicking others' lives while we are ignoring the problem in our own lives. And he, he said it this way. Your brother, sister, co-worker, husband, wife, whomever, has a splinter in their eye, but you have a beam in your eyes. So the word splinter there in the Greek literally means splinter or straw or speck. It could just be a speck of sawdust in their eye. But the word beam was a very specific word. It, was, it meant the beam in a building, a rafter beam in a building, uh, a joist in the roof or in the floor. So here's what Jesus is saying. He said, you're, you're, you're nitpicking, you're, um, you're, you're nitpicking your, um, uh, your family members, your friends, your co-workers, your church. You're nitpicking their lives about the smallest thing wrong with them. But yet you've got this large thing in your life. So here's what Jesus was saying. Before you look in a microscope at their life, look in a mirror at your life first. Critical people have the tendency to overlook everything in their lives, in their lives, but inspect everything about somebody else's life. So how do, you, how do you stop being critical? Well, here, here's what Jesus was saying. Simple. Spend more time working on you than you spend working on them. Spend more time working on you than you spend working on them. Look in the mirror first. You know how you can tell if you're a critical person? I, I, I'll be honest. You can sum it up right here. You know how you can tell if you're a critical person? Are you more worried about others' faults than you are your own? That's that simple. Are you more worried about others' faults? Are you spending more time identifying the faults of others than you are identifying your own faults? If that's true, then you are a critical person. Here's what Jesus said. Just stop it. Just stop it. Here's what he said. Look in the mirror first before you look in the microphone. Somebody else. Let me ask you, how many, how, many, how many of you ladies... Ladies, how many of you freak out over hotel germs? Can I see your hand? You freak out over hotel germs? You be honest. Some of you, a lot of you, yeah, yeah. My wife freaks out about hotels and germs. It's a phobia. It's, it's hard. I've told you before, it's just hard to travel with her. I told her at some point, I'm going to get a vacation wife if she doesn't stop, so I'm going vacation because she just, we will straighten hotel room and she starts looking in the bathroom. She starts um, starts turning down the bed, oak pillows. I have to lift the mattress up and every room we go. And, and I get it, but at some point I can't enjoy a time travel if I can't enjoy if, if we just, let's just, it's fine. Let's just lay in it. Look, I'll lick the remote and if that doesn't kill me, we're good, right? It's the, look. There's reason to be afraid. Like we, I mean, I get it. We, she keeps a spotless house at home and she wants to go to a spotless hotel room. I, I, I get all that. And you're just not going to find that because here's what, you, you know, I mean, you can just Google it, but the average stairwell door handle in a hotel room has 186,000 bacteria on it. That's the door handle. Y'all know how your little kids, my, my grandkids love doing it. Jackson loves pressing the buttons on the elevator in the hotel room. The average hotel elevator button has 149,000 bacteria on it. Let your toddler hit that button now. But, but can I say this? Before you get all up in arms about hotel germs, did you know that your kitchen sponge in your own house has about 362 different bacteria on your kitchen sponge? Did you know that in your own house... 
80% of your bathroom sink is covered in pathogens, making it the dirtiest area in the entire bathroom, your, your kitchen sink. And, and finally, before you look under the pillow in the hotel room, did you know that in your own, your own house, I don't even understand all this, but your own pillow has 3 million CFUs of bacteria per square inch. So I didn't know what that means, but I understand this sentence. That is 17,442 times more bacteria than you'll find on a toilet seat. Your, your pillow. And you know what? We go to hotel room, hotel room, we all freak out over the germs in the hotel room. You know what you might want to do? You might want to go home and wash your own pillowcase is what you might want to do. You might want to throw away that sponge or put a little bleach in your own sink. In other words, there's a beam in our eye when we're worried about the splinter somewhere else. Right? That's what a critical spirit does. A critical spirit spends more time worried about the splinter, the speck, in somebody else's eye than the beam in our own eye. We spend more time worried, focusing on the problem of others than we do of the problems in our own self. And so it's why our marriage deteriorates. Our marriage deteriorates because we, we, can't, we can't get our focus off the little thing he or she is not doing correctly. And we're ignoring the thing we're not doing correctly. We worry more about you than we do about us. So our job goes downhill because all we can see is what our employer doesn't do or what our employees do not do. And we can't understand why, why uh, uh, we, we don't look at what's going on in our own lives. It's why so our relationships go bad. It, it's why because we have this critical spirit and we, we're always putting other people under the microscope. But we never look in the mirror. How much, how much self-evaluation do you do personally? Can I, can I give you some advice? Before you go today and you're critical to your spouse, before you put them under a microscope, how about just look in the mirror first? Before you're critical of your parents, how about look in the mirror? Before you're critical of your teenagers, how about look in the mirror? Before you're in critical of your boss, or your, just look in the mirror. Look in the mirror before you put others under the microscope. Third thing Jesus would say, it goes hand in hand. He said, deal with you before you deal with them. Jesus said, get the beam out of your eye first and you can see clearly to help others get the splinter out of their eye. In other words, it becomes easier to help others after we've overcome our own issues in life. Hey, don't just look at yourself. Jesus said, do something about it. And have the feeling that when we start looking at our own issues in life, right, our own spiritual issues, our own emotional issues, our own family issues, our own financial issues, our own relationship issues, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be so busy and exhausted trying to fix you, you're not going to have any time fixing anybody else or energy. But Jesus said, once you fix you, when you've overcome, then you're capable of speaking into others' lives. But first, fix you. You probably never heard of this doctor, uh, Dr. Evan uh, O'Neill Kane. He was an Irish-American surgeon famous for one thing, and that's that photo you're seeing right there. 
Um, born in the 1800s, he became a surgeon in the day when there was just a general a- anesthesia. They just discovered a general anesthesia. So when they did surgery, they put you to sleep. Didn't matter what, I mean, dentistry put you to sleep. Every, any kind of surgery, they put you to sleep. And I'm not against it. I, I, you don't cut my body, I'd rather be asleep myself. And so that's what they did. But he came along and said, we just can't keep putting people to sleep. We, they developed a local anesthesia and they said, we need to be doing local anesthesias on minor surgeries, but nobody would do it. And after he had done 4,000 appendectomies on his own, He finally needed an appendectomy himself, and he said, well, if nobody's going to listen to me, I'm going to do a local anesthesia and take out my own appendix. And that's the photo of him doing it. Before he could talk anybody else into having surgery with a local anesthesia, he had to perform surgery on himself. And he took out his own appendix. He dealt with himself before he dealt with anybody else. And hear me, that's exactly what Jesus was saying. Use the scalpel on you, and then you might know how to use it on others. How much time do you spend fixing yourself compared to fixing others? Critical people tend to work on fixing others, and godly people work on fixing themselves. You know what you discover after you've spent so much time fixing yourself, you don't have any energy left over to try to fix others. And that leads me to the fourth thing Jesus told us about how to stop being critical, number one. And that's this, you don't have to fix everybody. Remember what Jesus said? He said, don't give what is holy to the dogs. Don't cast your pearls before swine. One reason we are so critical is we start thinking that we have to fix everybody. Here's what Jesus might have been saying, that some people aren't going to be fixed, so let it go. You say, well, preacher, how are they ever going to get better? It's a weird weird thing. You're trying to do the job of the Holy Spirit? And here's what Jesus was saying. Hey, you're, you're, you're giving out advice over here, but nobody's buying it. Nobody's listening. Nobody cares. You can't fix them. Let, let me do it. How about you spend time praying? Quit casting your pearls before swine. Quit giving what is holy to the dogs. How, how about you just spend time praying for them and let the Holy Spirit do His work in, in their lives. And by the way, the Holy Spirit needs to do work in your life too. Stand with me. We're finished. There's this thing postulated called the Dunning-Kruger effect. You see a graph of it right here. It's when a person does not have skills or ability in a specific area, but they see themselves as fully equipped to give opinions or carry out fields in that task. So in other words, they are unaware that they do not have the necessary capabilities. In 1999, this was postulated by Dunning and Kruger's research, and it became a common theme in psychological literature that people's perception of their own skill often does not match reality. So here's the graph they said. So here is, here is our perceived ability, that blue graph, but the red ability is, is what we think our, uh, uh, it is. And so we think, we think, we, we think that we're better than what we are. 
So, so here's, here's what I'm telling you today. Most people think they're awesome, but they're not. Preachers have that problem. We all do. The best sermon I ever preached was the one I'm about to preach, right? We all, we all think we're awesome. Uh, everybody does. We, but did you know that Dunning-Kruger effect, you know what it tells me? I'm not going to convince most people anyway. It's not my job to fix people. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. My job's lead them to Jesus. My job's help them fall in love with Jesus. The godliest Christians are those that work on themselves and give out a lot of grace to others. You don't have to fix everybody. As a matter of fact, don't even try. Most aren't going to listen. So how do I stop being critical? How do I stop complaining? Here's what Jesus said. The grace you give is the grace you get. So a lot of grace in your life. Look in the mirror before you look in the mirror. Identify your own problems first. Number three, deal with your own problems. And number four, even if you've overcome, you know what? You might want to hold back some advice because you know what? Most people aren't going to listen. Let the Holy Spirit do His job. Pastor Joel, that was a great message. Thank you for that this morning. Hey, you know what? The world knows us for often being judgmental. Those church people are judgmental. They judge me for the things I do. And Scripture tells us we aren't to judge. We're not to judge others. And often there's so much going on in our own life that we need to work on. We shouldn't have time to see what everybody else needs to work on. But the truth is there is one judge, and that's God. And He, he will one day judge us. And, and the judgment that we'll face is this. Not were you good enough to get into heaven, but did you have a relationship with God's Son, Jesus? Sin separates us from God. There's nothing we can do to fix that separation. But God sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could have a relationship with Him here on this earth and spend eternity with Him in heaven. And the way you begin that relationship is you've got to understand that you're a sinner and that your sin has separated you from God. You've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that He was buried dead in the tomb, and on the third day He rose again. And then you have to confess Him as your personal Lord and Savior. If you've never done that this morning, but God has spoken to your heart, tell God this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that He was buried, and that He rose again on the third day. And Lord, right now, I ask You to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to You in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, I want to say welcome to the family. We want to connect with you. We want you to know that you're not on this faith journey alone, and we want to help you take next steps. So we've just dropped a link in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Christ. If you just prayed that prayer with me, click on that link. We're going to ask you a couple of questions. That information will come straight to me, and I'll connect with you this week. Hasn't it been great to worship together this morning online? Um, I, I enjoy this time each week together, and I can't wait to see you next week. God bless you. Have a great week. 
We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.